You know, I was, I was thinking earlier as I was talking to Blake, um, you know, our church this year will be 20 years old and still on nights like this, I wonder, is anybody going to show up? Is anybody going to be here? Is it going to be great? And I'm telling Blake how awesome you are and how responsive you are. And I'm like, I hope they don't make a liar out of me. Um, so thank you for being here. And I'm so excited for you to hear Blake speak. Blake and his wife, Katie, uh, they have an eight-month-old eight son named Asa. And Blake has actually been on staff at, oh, there you are, has been on staff at Westridge Church for over three years now. And most of you should know, but that is the church that planted us 20 years ago. And actually, Pastor Brian spoke at our Abide Nights last year. And so he's been leading their young adults ministry there. And he's also been a church planting resident there. Um, what's amazing to me is not just that Westridge has planted us, but that we now together with Westridge and a whole collective of other churches in Atlanta are working to plant churches together. And so we all work to resident church planters together. And so they might be on staff at a church, but then we all get to know them, pour into them, invest in them. And so we as a church are investing in Blake and Katie, and we'll be supporting them for the next three years financially, relationally, as they plant Kingdom City Church, which will be in the east side of Atlanta in the Decatur, Chambly area. Um, and so we're super excited for that. Um, and I know you may be thinking, do we need another church in Atlanta? Yes, we do. We need way more churches in Atlanta. And so if you actually, maybe you even live closer there, you might even want to consider God moving you to there. We actually had someone attend our church as a first-time guest last year, heard Chris Renfro speak, who is our church planner in Johns Creek, and now he goes to his church. And that is amazing to me. And he's plugged in and connected there. Uh, or you may have family there or have friends there. Make sure you tell them about Kingdom City Church. It's launching this year. Um, and so he has now transitioned off staff from Westridge and is planting Kingdom City Church in that area. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear from him. I'm sure he'll tell you more about that. But no, this is a tangible example of your generosity as a church going to support kingdom work in Kingdom City Church. So let's give it up for Blake Odgers coming out to speak to us. What's up, church? How we doing? There we go. Loving the energy. Um, I want to sit in this moment for just uh, for just a second, and then uh, and then we'll we'll get rolling here. But um, I love this. Don't you guys love this? Right? You love these nights. You love an opportunity to set these to set this time aside and just go, God. We want to start our year off right. We want to start a year off consecrating ourselves to you, holding our hands out open to you, holding our hearts wide open for you, asking for you to move in our lives. And I, I know how easy it is for us to potentially step into something like this and look at it as a season, right? Um, as something that may just be like a, an awesome flash in the pan moment. Man, I love Abide Nights. I can't wait for that next year. I can't wait for that season again next year. But I think the hope for these nights is that, is that this actually creates a shift, Right? That, that recalibrates and, and regrounds us, right? That, that, that reminds us what life is all about and it inspires us to attack it with a, with a refreshed and a renewed intensity, right? Because the reality is that God has made some promises in his word. He's made some promises in his word. And those promises apply to us. And one of the ones that I've been holding on to here lately actually comes out of Ephesians 3 and the Apostle Paul he writes, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power. Anybody need power? 
in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. And here's an amazing promise. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You hear that? So that you, where you're sitting, may be filled, not with some of God, with all the fullness of God. And then he goes on to say, it's one of the ones we love to put on a mug, love to put on a t-shirt. And he says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask and think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever and amen. Amen to that. But don't skip that part. He says, you can actually be filled with all the fullness of God. Anybody in here can say like, I'm all tapped out on God. I'm filled. My cup overfloweth with God, right? No. How many, how many of us in here, you got, I got room, right? I got room. No matter who you are or where you're at, there's more for us. There's more. There's more for us in these days. And God promises to give it to us, but did you catch the condition? He said, in order for you to be filled with all the fullness of God, you've got to know the love of Jesus. That surpasses knowledge. He said, you got to know it. You got to know this love that you can't comprehend, that you can't understand. And when you know that love, you can be filled with the fullness of God. And what does Jesus in John 15, right? What does he say? He says, abide in my love. What an invitation for us. Say, Jesus, I, I hear you calling me to abide in your love. And if I can abide in your love and I can know that love, I can be filled with all the fullness of God so that I can experience the immeasurably more that you have for us. So what do we say? We just lean in together, right? Everybody with me? Like, let's lean in together tonight. Let's lean in together tomorrow. Let's lean in together this weekend, okay? And let's keep leaning in after that. Let's keep leaning in on Monday. Let's keep leaning in on Tuesday, right? And all the other days after that. See what I'm saying? Y'all with me? All right, cool. So now I'll introduce myself. Thank you. Um, like Pastor Jason said, uh, my name is Blake Hodgers, and I'm super excited to be with you guys. Sorry, I like to start strong. It helps me get the jitters out. You guys make me nervous, okay? Um, and uh, yeah, my wife and I, we are uh, getting ready to plant Kingdom City Church in kind of the Northeast Atlanta area. Uh, that wasn't hard enough for us. So we decided to have a baby as well. And um, that's been great. He keeps me humble. Like just, oh, I was like, I thought y'all were just like on at me. Um, uh, yeah, he keeps me humble. Just hours ago, I was like, you know, wiping and doing the whole thing. Well, if my wife was here, she'd say, you were watching me. Why? And I'm, I was watching, and she's, she's a pro. I was learning. But, uh, but anyway, it's, uh, it's just been such a privilege. Uh, this is such an exciting, such a, uh, if I'm honest, a little bit fearful kind of season of my life. Um, but the beautiful thing has been uh, seeing guys like your pastors uh, come alongside me, come alongside our family, and all of a sudden, that big, uh, kind of scary, daunting task just gets a little bit smaller when you lock arms and you have people to kind of track it with. And, um, 
And I've gotten the opportunity to know and learn from Pastor Jason, Chad, David, and others uh, through our Engaged Churches Network. And, uh, and let me tell you this, you don't always get the chance to say this, but, but the closer I get to those men and the closer I get to your church and the more I kind of get a peek behind the heart of what's happening here, the more respect I gain. For you and for your pastors, for your leaders, the more my respect and admiration for you as a church and as God's people has grown. And so can we just like, I just wanna applaud you guys. Can we applaud, can you applaud yourselves? I know it sounds weird, but it's all God's grace, right? But, uh, but we just wanna thank you uh, for who you are and how faithful you've been. Like, like Pastor Jason said, it's as a result of your generosity that, that, that we get to kind of take steps uh, with at least a little less fear um, than we had before. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, when we were starting into this, we just kind of decided a long time ago that, uh, that along this church planning journey, we just, we wanted to do this with people we love. We want to do this with people we love who have built things and who have given us an example to follow. And, uh, and so both in how they live and, and how they lead. And so the fact that we get to partner with a church like this is just, uh, is just an absolute gift. And so however much uh, Kingdom City Church uh, accomplishes or however little Kingdom City Church accomplishes for the sake of the kingdom, it is all a result of, uh, of God's grace and, uh, and your kindness. We, uh, we stand on your shoulders. So thank you guys. Um, well, this evening we're gonna be in, uh, in Mark chapter nine. And so if you've got a Bible, hope you do. I uh, would love for you to meet me there. And uh, this, is a, this is an interesting story that uh, I think you've probably heard preached before, probably preached in several different ways. And uh, not too long ago, I heard a pastor kind of take a certain angle on it uh, in a conversation. And, and I just started digging into this and praying through this, and it really captivated my heart. And so uh, this is kind of what was just burning on me, uh, burning in me when, when we got the invitation to be here. And so, uh, and so I wanted to share it with you tonight, but... Uh, we're going to start in verse 14. And it says, When they, they being Jesus, Peter, James, and John, came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. And he asked them, What are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. And he replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And so they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? From childhood, he said, and many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. And your translation may also add fast. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, God, we just want to pause and once again, just 
invite you. God, we're not here for an experience. We're not here uh, just for community. We're not here just to sing. We're not here just to hear somebody talk. God, we're here to encounter the living God. And so, Lord, we ask you uh, in these moments, in the remainder of our time, Lord, would you just meet with us? Would you do what only you can do? And may all of us walk out looking more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So let me ask you something. If you could live at any point in any moment in history, when would you live? Right? When would you live? I'm sure it's something that maybe we've thought about at some point or another. There's a lot of different moments throughout history that you're like, man, it would have been really interesting to maybe live in that time and in that moment. Maybe you have the mentality right now in the world that we live in that, that you'd rather be in the good old days. You know, we've heard that. Uh, maybe you think the world, to quote my grandmother, has gone to hell in a handbasket. Uh, maybe you think you should have or wish you could have been born at another time. Maybe you were meant for another moment. Maybe you walk around and you go, I don't know if this was the time that I think, God, like, did I get accidentally placed here? Well, I want to tell you something, and I'm sure you already know this, but it's this, is that you were made for this moment. You were made for this moment. In Acts 17, there's a conversation happening with Paul and a group of others in Greece, and he says this statement. He says, from one man, he being God, made every nation of mankind to live over the whole earth, having determined, appointed, allotted periods of time and the boundaries of where they might live. I want you to think about this. What, what he's saying is that before the foundations of the universe, God looked out over the expanse of human history and placed you here. Placed Revolution Church in North Georgia right here at this time, for this moment. Maybe, maybe you don't wanna be here. Maybe you've questioned why you're here, but I can tell you this, is that God wants you here. God wants you here, and he wants you now, in this moment. So you were made for this moment. We were made for this moment. But, but a question that we have to ask ourselves in the day in which we live and for this moment in history is this, are we ready for this moment? We've been placed in this moment, but are we ready for this moment? We've, we've, been, we've been put here by God. There's no, there's no question of whether or not we should be here because God has settled that. The question is whether or not we've done everything in our power to be the kind of people in the kind of church that this moment requires. That, it, that if the intensity of the moment that we live in is extraordinary, then it requires an extraordinarily intense church. That the level of our discipleship and the level of our devotion has to match the intensity of the moment that we find ourselves in. Are we ready for the moment that we're in? Maybe you feel ill-equipped for this moment. Maybe you feel unprepared for this moment. Maybe you even feel overwhelmed by this moment. But the reality is this, is that God has made us for it. He's placed us in it. And now he's calling us to get ready for it. 
So what moment are we in? You keep hearing me say that word. What moment are we in? When I'm saying that, what am I talking about? Where in culture and history do we as the church find ourselves? So let's define it. Uh, there's a few different things that are currently kind of uh, the, uh, the, the core factors or elements about the moment that we find ourselves in. And the first one is this, increasing secularism. That we live in a moment of increasing secularism. That, uh, now, when I say that, what am I saying? You know, in, in Romans 12, when, when Paul challenges the Romans, he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What, what I'm talking about is that the pattern of this world is increasingly more and more secular. And, and it's no secret that we officially are a post-Christian society and that secularism has strategically and intentionally and aggressively attempted with actually lots of success to uproot genuine, genuine biblical Christian influence. I love the way one, one pastor described it, John Tyson from New York City. He said that what we're seeing is reverse exorcism. That secularism is going wherever it can find Christian influence and demanding it to come out and never return here again. According to George Barna, of the Barna Institute, he said, we don't have data for the kind of revival and renewal required in the United States. We are statistically past the point of recovery is kind of what they say. And here's what he means by that. Don't get hopeless. Here's what he means by that, is that there are no man-made methods that can bring about the renewal that we need and long for. It will require a move of God brought about by an outpouring of his spirit that mobilizes his people, the church, to once again pursue New Testament Christianity. Amen. Increasing secularism. Second, you have religious decline. Religious decline. Uh, since the turn of the century, uh, regular church attendance has steadily declined. I know not for you, but for everyone else out there, it has steadily declined. Of those who attend church, which is not that many, only 20% attend weekly, while 40% attend monthly. But nearly 60% of Americans are seldom or never in religious service attendance. And 40% of millennials, my people, 40% 40, 40 of millennials, the largest living generation in America, are religiously unaffiliated. Third, we have heightened skepticism. People are skeptical. And I'm not just talking about skeptical about God, I'm talking about skeptical even towards the church. Uh, I read a statistic this week that said pastors and ministry leaders at 32% rank below chiropractors, dentists, police officers, engineers, veterinarians, and doctors in terms of who the public trusts and deems as people with integrity and honesty. And people are less likely than ever to assume the church or clergy have an answer to their problem they are likely to turn to the world's suggestions for heaven-sized problems because they're skeptical towards organized religion. But I want to encourage you. You're like, please, God. <laughs> is that the other element is this, spiritual openness. Spiritual openness. Gen Z has actually been called, quote, the open generation which is one of the reasons, I don't know if you've noticed, that, you, that maybe you've seen a series of outpourings or maybe they've been called revivals breaking out across college campuses. Um, in recent months, you may be seeing a lot of spontaneous baptisms. Maybe you, you, you saw the Asbury, right, outpouring that happened a few months back, that we're seeing this openness in young people. However, the reality is this, that Gen Z will likely belong to whoever pursues them the hardest. Whoever pursues them the hardest. 
and has answers to their problems. And the reality is, is if culture pursues them hardest, if Silicon Valley pursues them hardest, they will likely win. But they don't have to. Amen. They don't have to. So, so that's the cultural moment, right? That's the historical snapshot that we find ourselves in. But, but I, wanna, I wanna bring it down a little bit and ask you, what, what moment do you find yourself in? That maybe there's a moment in your life right now. Have you defined it? Before you can begin to address it, you've gotta define it. Or maybe you'd rather ignore it. Maybe you'd rather run from it. But if we're ever gonna be ready for it, we have to start with defining it. And so let me ask you, does it feel like your family's falling apart? Maybe you're trying to grip onto things, but you just can't keep it together. Are you cracking under the weight or the pressures of life? Knees buckling. Are you feeling hopeless? Maybe you're even here and you're feeling depressed. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're overwhelmed by sin. Maybe you feel enslaved to a certain addiction or sin that you, have, you just haven't been able to kick just keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back and it seems like it gets stronger and stronger every single time. Or maybe, maybe you're here and you're making more money than you ever had before and your heart is all of a sudden gripped by idolatry. Some people are like, I'd like that moment. I'd like to struggle with that sin, please. Or maybe, maybe you're here and you're plagued by spiritual doubt. You just can't get your heart and your mind on the same page when it comes to Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you've experienced immense loss and the grief is just, it's just too much. Or maybe you're planning a church in a major city with a newborn. <laughs> and scared out of your mind some days. You too? Anybody else? So, so what do we do? Right? It's great that we're defining it. Right? You go to a doctor and they say, here's the problem. Peace. Right? And you're like, hey, what do we do? How do we address this problem? How do we address this moment? So let's ask ourselves, what do we do when we find ourselves made for a moment but not ready for it? Brings us back to our passage in Mark chapter nine. I wanna, I wanna give us some background here. Um, before this moment, you, you saw we're at the beginning in, in, in verse chapter 14, it says that, that they came to the disciples. They were Jesus, Peter, James, and John, and where they're coming from is they have just witnessed the transfiguration, right? So they've witnessed Jesus in all of his heavenly glory on earth with, with Moses the law, with Elijah the prophet, who's known for prayer and miracles, and Jesus the new covenant, all meeting on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and a voice from heaven declares, Peter and, and the inner three, the core three, they hear this, a voice from heaven declares to them, this is my beloved son, listen to him. That's after Peter just talks and talks and talks. He's like, you want us to build you a tent? And he's like, shut up, listen to my son. Um, and, then, and then here's the funny part. Jesus tells them, hey, don't tell anybody what you saw. Can you imagine that? Think about who Jesus is trusting here. One, you got Peter, right? Who's just, he's Peter. And then you got John. John is literally the brother who writes in his gospel, I'm the one Jesus loved the most. <laughs> you don't think that man's wanting to tell somebody? Y'all will never believe what I saw. I told y'all Jesus loved me. It's crazy. But anyways, Jesus trusted him, said, don't tell anybody. And so after this experience, they return 
to join back with the other disciples who, who are in a little scuffle. There are crowds around them filled with both needy people as well as religious people, the scribes, the experts of the law. And then Jesus interjects to get clarity on the situation. And a man calls out to him that his disciples and tells him that his disciples could not cast an unclean spirit out of his son. You read it? Verse 17 and 18, teacher, I brought my son to you. He is a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. And then Jesus rebukes his disciples for their unbelief. More on that in a second. But I wanna pause for a moment and, and I want us to take note of a couple of things. First and foremost, I want you to notice Jesus' heart to connect. Notice Jesus' heart to connect. Do, do you think that Jesus needed to know details about the situation in order to cast this unclean spirit out of this boy? We've literally seen moments in the gospels where Jesus is miles away and someone's like, hey, can you heal my servant? He's like, yeah, go back. By the time you get there, they'll be healed. But for whatever reason, he stops in this moment and he goes, he goes, hey, how long has this been happening? How long has this been happening? And I think the translation may be this. Hey, how are you holding up? Like, man, this is a lot. How are you holding up? And then second, notice the man's exhaustion. He's just exhausted. You can hear it through the pages. Jesus asked him, how long has this been happening? And he says, a long time, since childhood. And every time it happens, it tries to hurt him. And we're doing the best we can, but we're, but we're at the end, of the end of our rope. And so, hey, if you can, can you, can you please help us? Because this has been a long time and we're tired. And I want to pause there because I think that might be some of us, right? And I just want to tell you this, that if that's you, I want you to hear this, that Jesus is invested. Jesus is invested. You have access to heaven. And he is bending his ear to draw near to you because he cares for you. And he has everything you need, absolutely. But he isn't into quick fixes. He's in it for your heart. He's in it for your heart. That's what Jesus pauses to connect with in this moment. He says, man, how are you holding up? God says, man, I'm tired. But Jesus doesn't just let us wallow in self-pity or unbelief. The very next text, we see that Jesus calls him up to belief. He says, hey, if I, if I can, right? He's like, hey, man, a lot of compassion talking to the king, okay? So I need to get your eyes up. I need you to get your eyes up. Heaven is here. Anything is possible. So, so get your eyes up, right? Look at me. That's what these days are about, right? Getting your eyes up, abiding in Jesus. We don't abide in ourselves. We don't connect ourselves to another vine. He said, I'm the true vine, so I'm gonna connect to this vine because this vine's actually gonna give me what I need. Jesus is saying, get your eyes up. Get your eyes up. Heaven is here. Anything is possible. And then Jesus, of course, casts out the unclean spirit, rescues the boy, and restores hope to his father. But the question we have is this, and this is the direction that just so interests me, is we're gonna take our eyes off the father for a second and ask this question. Why couldn't the disciples do it? Why couldn't the disciples do it? 
as followers of Jesus in this room, called to continue the ministry of Jesus in everyday life, why couldn't the disciples do this? And you know, some have read this and, and used it to say that the disciples were out of their league, that, that, there was, that, that they were men who simply, who simply didn't have the power to do this. And I'm not sure I agree with that because in Mark chapter six, we're told that before commissioning them and sending them out to do ministry, Jesus, quote, gave them authority over unclean spirits. So Jesus has given them authority over unclean spirits. The text goes on to say that they went out, preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And so there's nothing in the text that makes us think that, hey, there's something special about this unclean spirit. They've been casting out unclean spirits. They've been casting out demons. They've been healing sick people. And so it doesn't seem that this was an issue of means, that they like didn't have the means to do it. Jesus had given it to them. The text clearly says this. So if the problem wasn't powerlessness, and, and let me tell you this, if you're in Christ, your problem isn't powerlessness. Your problem is not powerlessness. That if you are in Christ, it's got, we, we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope, right? Like there's a moment to grieve. We're not detached from reality, but we don't grieve without hope. We don't wallow in unbelief or self-pity, that, that we grieve with a hope that's directed towards Jesus. And so your problem's not, not powerlessness. Second, uh, Peter writes in his second letter, his divine power, his being Jesus, has given us everything required for life and godliness, Super interesting, in the Greek, that word everything means everything. It means the whole. It actually means every kind of thing. So if the problem wasn't powerlessness, then what was it? Jesus goes on to say, it was prayerlessness. He says, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. It cannot come out by anything but prayer. And in Matthew's account in chapter 17, Jesus drills down and says that their prayerlessness actually stemmed from their faithlessness that it was a symptom of a deeper problem. In other words, there was a power available to them that they weren't accessing because of a lack of faith and because of a lack of prayer. There was something that the disciples had been doing before in their ministry that wasn't going to work any longer. And this wasn't an issue of means, but method. They had the wrong strategy. And the reality is that too often we resort to the wrong methods or mentalities when we find ourselves in moments seemingly too big for us. What are, what are some of those? Well, I think a lot of times we resort to, to cynicism. We have a level of defeatism, right? Like we just unplug, we just stop fighting. We've taken our vision and rather than imagining something aligned with God's character and promises, we build a future that assumes God's absence. He's, not, he's just not gonna come through. Many have even constructed entire theologies around their cynicism. These scribes were debating theologically why the disciples couldn't cast this unclean spirit out. And maybe you've created an entire theology around a God who isn't involved and doesn't act anymore. You've actually created a God in the image of your cynicism and doubt. And that's just not a God, it's not a God you wanna worship or pray to. Maybe, maybe it's compromise. Maybe you've, maybe you've compromised to the culture, right? Like somewhere along the line, you just decided that rather than fighting, rather than resisting, you just give in. It just got too hard. 
You prayed a prayer once upon a time and you bank on that while you live like the world. Or maybe you've compromised to, uh, to religious coasting, right? You go to church, you live a moral life, you pray over your food, but there's no power because you compromise. Or maybe if you're like me, you love some control. Maybe you've tried to take control of the situation. Maybe like the disciples, you just keep resorting back to old methods again and again and again. You know, I think, uh, I think a lot of times churches uh, can do this, right? That, uh, that we often run to strategy and methodology. Like I, I know that for me in planning, like even with church planning, like I'm constantly planning and thinking and writing and there's totally a place for that. But, but a lot of times I can run to that and run to that and run to that. And then I'm like, man, I didn't even seek the Lord about this. In Revelation 2, Jesus rebukes the church at Ephesus, not because of bad ministry. He actually congratulates them on great ministry. He rebukes them because of a lack of love. Because devotion can go places and accomplish things ministry can't. Great ministry impacts people, but great devotion influences heaven. Jesus says this kind will only come out by prayer and fasting. You know, I think it's safe to say that we've seen what we can do with all the greatest technology, strategies, methods, and it's impressive. It is, it's amazing what man can do, created in the image of God to create. It's an amazing thing. But it's time to see what God can do with our prayer and fasting, our surrender and devotion. Because maybe the moment we're in requires something different than what we've been trying. Maybe we should give Jesus' suggested method a shot. You know, it's helpful to remember that after years of walking with and following Jesus, when the disciples got the chance to ask Jesus to do a 101 class on anything, they didn't ask about preaching. They didn't ask about healing. They didn't ask about exorcism. They asked about prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Because that was what they identified as the thing that separated Jesus from all the rest and was the source from which Jesus drew all of his power and all of his authority to do all of the other things. And Jesus invites us to access, to access his power, his fullness for the moment that we're in. But perhaps, perhaps this kind will only come out through prayer, through desperate devotion. John 15, right? Abide in me, I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. If we, if we shoot back to Acts 17, where we started, the apostle Paul says, from one man, he made every nation of mankind to live over the whole earth, having determined, appointed, the allotted periods of time and the boundaries of where they might live. Why? Why did God put you right here? Why did God put you right now? He keeps going. He did this that they might seek God. They might seek God. Why did he put you here in this moment? Why did he put Revolution Church here, right, right here, right now? Why are you here now? That you might seek God. you might seek God.
You might seek God for your family. You might seek God for your city. You might seek God for the nations. You might seek God for your coworkers. You might seek God for the lost people that you brush shoulders with every single day. And it just feels like too great of a moment for you. So how should we seek God in this moment? I think there's three elements of the type of prayer that we need in this moment. And the first element is this, that we need to contemplate. What do I mean by this? Is that we need to rediscover the beauty of Jesus again. That there's a lot of us in here that, man, you, may, you might find God useful. He helps you. You've got certain, certain dreams and aspirations that you hope he might help you with. But it's been a long time since he captivated your imagination and you saw God as beautiful. Some of you need that summer camp experience again. You need your heart captured by Jesus again. You need your imagination captured by Jesus again. And can I tell you this? That's not just gonna happen. If you're waiting for the day that this culture or your day-to-day life just overwhelms you with the beauty of Jesus. It's not gonna happen. We've gotta be a people who get on our face when we open up this word. We go, I wanna see you. I wanna see you. I wanna be, I wanna see your glory. I wanna be captivated by you again. The Apostle Paul writes that the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus. You need to contemplate. Maybe you need to think about your story again. It's been a long time since you've looked back and remembered who you were before God got you. And I know it's not always great to go back to that place, but sometimes we've got to zoom out. We've got to see the faithfulness of God again. The psalmist writes, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Can I ask you this? Look at your hands. Look within your heart. Are you clean? I'm gonna answer it for you. No. In and of yourself, you're not clean. But I have dirty hands. I have a sick heart in and of myself. But Thank God that I, don't ha- I didn't have to ascend the hill on my own merit, that the one on top of the hill came down to me with his clean hands and his pure heart. And he stood in the gap for me. And that needs to overwhelm me every day, again and again and again. The second thing, I think we, just, I think we need to consecrate. When you see that God, the natural response natural response is to set ourselves aside for him. I love it when Jesus calls the disciples, follow me. They're like, all right. Drop their jobs, drop everything, and they just follow him. And I think there needs to be a level of, we contemplate the beauty of Jesus. And then we go, man, I'm yours. I'm yours. 
that we cleanse ourselves, we uproot the things of this world out of us because he, Jesus is coming back for a bride and he said it's a bride without spot and without blemish. We've got to cleanse ourselves. We've got to devote ourselves to him. And we've got to surrender to him for his purposes. And then lastly, we've got to contend. What does that word mean? It means fight. Fight. Apostle Paul says we don't fight against flesh and blood. But he didn't say that we don't fight at all. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but he said there's principalities, there's darkness, there's powers of the age that need to be fought. That, that, that behind every broken situation that you're seeing that is less than God's best, there's darkness there. There's principalities there. There's an enemy that's seeking to steal, kill, and destroy there. And he's saying that, that's what we fight. And the reality is, is that the one in the spiritual realm, the enemy in the spiritual realm needs to be fought in the spiritual realm. And how do we do that? We do that by pulling down on heaven and saying, hey, you're not right here. And I'm gonna pull down on heaven until you are right here. I'm gonna pull down on heaven until my kid is back. I'm gonna pull down on heaven until my family loves Jesus. I'm gonna pull down on heaven until the city sees Jesus and gets changed as a result. I'm gonna pull down on heaven and I'm not gonna stop. I'm gonna contend and I'm gonna contend and I'm gonna contend. Because Jesus stood on our behalf to satisfy the wrath of God, to take on death, hell, and the grave so that we can stand now in him with the love of God over us and no fear within us and enter boldly and confidently by the Holy Spirit into the throne room of God and pull down heaven because of what he's done for us. And so what is it for you today? What is it for you today? What moment do you find yourself in? And what does that moment require of you? What does this moment require of us? What kind of prayer and devotion is Jesus calling you to? I wanna invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. Nothing sacred about this outside of just giving you space. You to be alone with the Lord, to respond. See, maybe, maybe you're here and you're facing something that you don't have the power for and it's because you don't even have access to God. And I'm telling you, I love you. If you're in the room and you don't know Christ, you do not have access to God. Because we cannot access God in and of ourselves. We need to be in Christ. We need his righteousness in order to stand before God. And so if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you don't have access to God and you cannot receive the power that you need for this life. So if that's you in this room and you're saying, I'm, it's not that I just need power. It's not that I just need problems fixed. It's that I need Jesus. I just wanna invite you where you're at. Would you be willing to just raise your hand? I would love to pray for you. I'd love to pray over you. You need access to the Father through the blood of Jesus. 
Heavenly Father, God, for anyone in the room, anyone online, God, that right now is the cry of their heart, Lord, saying, I need you. Lord Jesus, I pray in the name of Jesus that right now you would give them a new heart with new affections, new desires, that they would see that they are sinners who have been separated from God and they cannot stand before God without their mediator, Jesus Christ, on their behalf. So Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, would you save them? Would you call out for forgiveness to God? He says, if you repent, he'll save you. And then I wanna invite anyone else here tonight contemplate, consecrate, contend. I'm telling you, there's things in your life, there's things in this city, there's things in this community that need a devoted church, that the level of the intensity of the moment requires an intense church with intense discipleship and intense devotion to Jesus. You've got things in your life and things plaguing your family that requires an intensity of devotion because this kind can only come out through prayer. And so church, we wanna invite you, if it's where you're at, to get on your face, if it's coming up front to, to pray with one of the members of our team, if it's in your chair, if it's standing with hands raised, we ask you to pray in the name of Jesus. And so would you stand with me and raise your hands? Lord Jesus, we are here in this moment, God, and we are asking you, to meet with us, Lord, whatever it is that we need to do, if it's, if it's contending for our family, if it's, if it's consecrating ourselves to you, if it's contemplating the beauty of Jesus, Lord, we just want you to open our eyes. We want you to wreck our hearts. We want you to give us fresh vision for this life, Lord. We want you to make us different. Make us the kind of church that we need to be for this moment. Make us the kind of people that we need to be for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.